Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Hey, it's State of State. We got your Nittany Line update. It's a football discussion with Tom and Justin. So kick back and press play. With former Penn State and NFL defensive back Justin King, I'm Tom Hannafin. This is State of State. This podcast is presented by Bet Online. The holiday season is upon us with the NFL in full stride, plus the NBA and NHL hitting midseason form. Bet Online is your number one destination for all your sports wagering info. With up to the minute sports wagering news, odds, trends, and predictions, Bet Online is the top spot for all pro and college sports. And it's not just the big four. Bet Online is info available at your fingertips with both desktop and mobile access at any time for almost any sport from mixed martial arts to international soccer head to bet online today and remember to use our promo code believe that's b-l-e-a-v for your 50 percent welcome bonus on your first deposit state of state is presented by bet online where the game starts also, State of State is a proud supporter of Blue White Outfitters. Blue White Outfitters was created as a retail shop meant to highlight the confidence, competitiveness, and fearlessness of the elite athletes found throughout the history of Penn State University. Check out the latest Lockdown U and Lawn Boys merchandise today. All sales from Blue White Outfitters directly benefit Penn State student-athletes. Visit www.bluewhiteoutfitters.com today. And if you're looking for the perfect beer for Penn State football season, we've got you covered with the State IPA. Special thanks to our friends at Funk Brewing for creating the best tailgate and game day beer for Nittany Lion fans. A limited supply of the State IPA is still available now at beer distributors, grocery stores, Funk's tap rooms, plus select bars and restaurants. Visit www.funkbrewing.com slash beers slash state dash IPA to learn where and how you can get state IPA before it runs out for the season. Check out the link in the description of this podcast for more information. Must be 21 years or older to purchase. Please drink responsibly. And welcome to State of State. I'm Tom Hannafin with Justin King, as always. And this week, we are joined by Dan Casey. You can check him out on social media, at Coach Dan Casey of the Play Callers Club podcast. He does some spectacular breakdowns. You absolutely have to check out his content. We initially had Dan on here because last week we saw that Offensive coordinator Andy Kotelnicki had been hired to Penn State from Kansas, and Dan had some great insight on Kotelnicki. And in less than a week, I want to say just in like five days' time, the entire landscape of college football basically changed. So we will get to some information on the new offensive coordinator, Andy Kotelnicki, but there is so much in this episode to get to. I want to start off the top, and Dan, I'll give you the first opportunity as our guest. Uh, the biggest piece of news, I think, to come out of yesterday, this airs Wednesday, we're recording this on Tuesday, is that Chop Robinson, defensive end for Penn State, will not be competing in the Peach Bowl, and he will be declaring for the NFL draft. This didn't feel like a shocker to me. Uh, what did you feel about that piece of news? No, I mean, I think uh, it's that time of year where people are either jumping in the portal or jumping to the pros, and, um, you know, it's it's part of what the college football landscape looks like at this point, you're pretty much reinventing your roster every year um, to a degree. Obviously some people have a little bit more staying power than others, but um, when you have a talented edge player like that, they're going to be valued pretty highly one way or the other. Um, and I think what you're seeing a lot of these players do is, you know, obviously you go to the NFL, you get paid. Um, if you jump in the portal, you get paid. So, you know, I think they're, they're testing the market a little bit for their value. And uh, you know, that's, that's the world we're living in right now. Yeah, we're going to talk plenty about the transfer portal here in a matter of moments. But Justin, uh, again, like I said, no surprise that Chop decided to go uh, to the NFL draft. He's picked to be potentially one of the top 10 or top five edge rushers taken this year. Most definitely. He had a nice season. I mean, he battled a little injuries, but we expected him to leave. This was a successful, speaking of the transfer portal, this was a successful transfer portal acquisition from Penn State. And we talked about it earlier, whether it's, the uh, shout out to Liddell when he said the quarterback's going into the portal. When you think of it that way, that three of the four Heisman Trophy winners are transfer quarterbacks and getting on that D line. Quarterbacks throw the football, attack the, attack the quarterback, 
and uh, protect them. So like those are the moves that we want to be looking for in this transfer portal time, right? Defensive linemen, offensive uh, tackles, and quarterbacks. To your point, those are predominantly the players that Penn State has targeted and then also a couple of players from Penn State that have entered the transfer portal. So, again, we're recording this Tuesday evening, so this will probably all be old news by the time this posts on Wednesday. But in the transfer portal, wide receivers Christian Driver, the son of Donald Driver, famously the Green Bay Packers, as well as wide receiver Jace Tutty, plus punter Alex Pachetta. Uh, Penn State so far has sent offers to defensive lineman Aeneas Peebles, of Duke, who had 40 tackles, eight and a half TFLs, and four sacks this year within the ACC's four seasons spent at Duke. Wide receiver Josh Kelly, who was very, very productive at Washington State. He's being looked at by a bevy of big-time schools. Same for wide receiver Jamori Macklin, who is the cousin of former NFL and Mizzou star Jeremy Macklin. Over 1,000 yards receiving, 11 touchdowns. He's been pursued by, I think, over a dozen schools. Then there's offensive linemen, to the way Justin just put an offensive tackle, Alan Heron, from Shorter University, Division II in Georgia. Yes, but he's 6'6", 310 pounds and has more than 30 offers, considered one of the top four tackles available in the portal, I believe. And there was an offer sent out to Michigan State offensive lineman Keyshawn Blackstock, but I believe he's already off to Arkansas. So there's kind of a recap of the movers and shakers. And again, as of the time we're recording this, uh, no one has committed to Penn State from the portal. So we, we're waiting on that. But Dan, the name that every Penn State fan is thinking about is now former Ohio State wide receiver, Julian Fleming. Fleming, once upon a time, was recruited by Penn State football, uh, had Penn State in his top six, obviously went to Ohio State, battled some injuries, got stuck in a really, really crowded, talented wide receiver room. Uh, how hopeful and how geeked up should Penn State fans be about even potentially landing Julian Fleming in the port? Yeah, I mean, that's a good question. I'm uh... I'm down here in Texas, so I'm not always as clued in with the Penn State recruiting scene. But, uh, you know, definitely try and track it. My uh, my quarterback down here in Texas uh, had some Big Ten offers. He's actually going to UCLA. But uh, so we, we've tried to keep an eye on everything and see where, where people are going and what's going on. But, you know, the, the Fleming kid from Ohio State is really talented. And it seemed like there was just kind of a lot of negativity around him this year. Uh, there were kind of several guys on that roster that got some flack, I guess. And, you know, the, the reality is explosive playmakers in the new age Big Ten are going to be hard to come by, but also really valuable because, yeah, the the offense, I think the, the offensive profile of the Big Ten is going to increase with some of these Pac-12 schools coming over. And you really, you know, you're going to have to win some shootouts and having that firepower on the edge is, is going to be important. Obviously, you've seen teams be able to win with tight ends and fullbacks and not that that can't happen anymore. It's still going to be a physical league, but I think finding those explosive playmakers is is priority number one, I'm sure, with especially with the new offense coming in. So the point Dan was just making, Justin, uh, Julian Fleming, some flack at Ohio State, and uh, it sounded like initially in the recruiting process, even the situation between Fleming and Penn State wasn't awesome I, I don't know exactly how to describe it and that maybe there was some friction there that, that you know that why it wound up one way or the other and now it's led people to speculate like are people just getting jacked up because the guy went to Ohio State and there's the brand attached he was a five-star recruit or is this guy for real can he really step into any program in America and, and be the guy well, I was actually there when they were recruiting him out of high school so to give some context to that when we t talk about the inconsistency on the offensive side of the football had a lot of turnover at that receiver position so if you go through the recruiting process if you're getting recruited by one guy at, like Josh Gaddis in ninth grade and then there's a transition to another guy and then there was Gerard Parker and then it's another transition like through your high school career there's like three coaches and I think that's what happened the new guy at that point was David Corley came in and was trying to seal the deal but he already built relationships with some of the previous receivers coaches. So I don't think there was friction. I just think there was inconsistency in that coaching room at the time. Um, and moving forward, like he was a, he's a primetime player coming out of Pennsylvania. Um, his skill set, even back then, he was like a big body possession receiver that had some athletic traits. Wasn't necessarily a blow to top off of the, the coverage type of guy. You think of like last year, I mean, 26, 26 receptions, 270 yards, no touchdowns. You know how I feel about the receiver room right now. This is in an area where I feel, you know, we try to 
make magic happen and bringing a guy that hasn't produced at a high level in college football yet, regardless of how he was coming out of high school. I mean, we've seen just different areas or that hit rate that receiver is slim, right? And so for that, I would want something a little bit more surefire when it comes to that receiver room and taking in a guy that fits in there. But can it work? I mean, you never know with the new offensive coordinator and he uses them the right way, but just as just pure firepower coming in, I don't know what type of addition he would be to the Penn State roster. And, and we're still waiting to see about the bulk of Penn State's wide receiver core. Are they coming back? Might they declare for the NFL draft? Might they transfer? That, that question is for a handful of wide receivers. So the top end, Keandre Lambert-Smith, Trey Wallace, like the, those guys have potential decisions to make, but we just don't know, again, at the time of this recording. So everything can change in a heartbeat. Dan, uh, in your opinion, does Julian Fleming – uh, is the hype real? You know what I mean? Like to the points that Justin was just making, he's not put it all together necessarily at Ohio State. So is the hype real? Yeah, I mean, that's that's a good question. Like you'd mentioned earlier, the receiver room is pretty stacked over there at Ohio State. And then you're going through a quarterback transition from a guy like C.J. Stroud, who is probably underrated in his college career now that we'll see what he's done down here in Houston. Um, incredibly talented uh, passer of the football and, you know, Ohio State's kind of had this run of quarterbacks that are, have been pretty impressive. And, and Stroud's probably, you know, he may end up going down as the best of them. And then just making the transition with quarterbacks, that, that can be challenging. And obviously they're going to feed Marvin Harrison Jr. more than anyone on that roster. And so, um, you know, having had having coached crowded receiver rooms in the past, that can be a challenge to kind of spread those touches around. And so, yeah, it'll be interesting to see kind of how he – transitions into a, a new program, a new context. Um, you know, some guys I think handle that situation really well. Some guys struggle with it. And I think it really just comes down to um, are they, is, is he going to be able to adapt to a new system? Um, because the, the way, I think the way they teach offense at Ohio state is, is really, really solid, um, very concept based. And uh, you know, he may be heading into a little, little bit of a different context depending where he lands. And I believe Brian Hartline is the best wide receivers coach in America, hands down. Exactly. So that, that that is just a, a breeding ground for talent, which is great. But um, I guess my follow question on that, Dan, is that, you know, Fleming, is he looking for a place where he's not going to have to be questioned as the number one guy, considering for years at Ohio State, like I said, Garrett Wilson, Chris Olave, Emeka Buka, Marvin Harrison Jr., even Cade Stover was getting more looks at him. Not that Stover's bad, but just that the tight end was overshadowing him. Is he kind of looking to call his shot and be like, hey, am I your number one? I'm not? Oh, okay, great. I'm going to bounce. I think I think every every athlete kind of handles that a little bit differently. I'm at a high school down here in, in Houston called Episcopal High School, and we're kind of best known for Jalen Waddell. Jalen Waddell went to, to Episcopal down here and then ended up at Alabama. And you want to talk about the most crowded wide receiver room maybe of all time with uh, yeah. who they had, uh, you know, when he was there, it was Devontae Smith and, you know, Jalen and Henry Ruggs. I mean, the whole crew, I think Judy was there as well. So, you you know, one of the pitches that Nick Saban gave in his recruitment, because it was like, you know, he's probably not going to get a million touches with all these other guys in the room. And Nick Saban's pitch was basically like, listen, you know, all you need is 20 touches and I'll get you drafted. And so it was kind of, a, you know, an eye-opening experience. Obviously, Jalen had a lot more than 20 touches and, you know, is one of the better receivers in the league right now. But it just goes to show you that it's less about the numbers and more about showcasing a skill set. And so I think that's got to be the pitch to a kid like Fleming or really anybody coming into the system, into the program, is what are we going to do to highlight your skills and prepare you for the next level, not just pad your stats? Because, you know, the, the stat padding idea, you know, it, it only goes so far. I think evaluation has gotten so much better that um, you're not getting drafted off your stats. You're getting drafted off your your traits. I was saying to piggyback off of that, that's exactly what I was speaking to for him coming out of high school is he didn't have those traits that I think you want to sure. take from where they're at in their receiver room. I mean, because like when Jamison, Jamison Williams was coming out of Ohio State, that's a guy you take when he had limited touches. Because out of high school, the eval was 10-3, 100-meter guy, all these different things. I mean, Julian Fleming, he was like a high four or five guy and different things where you would think he would, he would just like done a little bit more and definitely had a crowded room, but 
it's the lack of touchdowns is kind of hard when we're lacking that from like a playmaker in our room. Right. So just to keep it going. It's, it's weird to look at Justin, because again, like you and I have talked about it, the Dante Cephas experiment thus far, bit of a disappointment and coming from Kent state, it, it was almost the inverse, smaller school, tons of numbers, tons of production. Oh, will that translate to a higher level a la Mitchell Tinsley from Western Kentucky to Penn State? Uh, it just hasn't been there. So it's, it's, it's hit or miss. And even with that, I think I think uh, Dan's 100 percent right where it's like a trait based thing. Like now, if you're talking like one touch guys that are coming into the portal or when Keon Coleman went down there, you knew that he was a, a big time playmaker when he was at Michigan State, regardless of what the numbers were. So there are areas of that. I guess I'm saying from my evaluation of Julian Fleming, I just don't think he's. He was ever that top receiver when he was coming out of PA. He played small ball and all those different things. But we just talked about dynamic people. Like, and I say him and Jamison Williams, like they were around like that same time when you talk about just those one touch speed type of receivers when we think about playing in space in college football. So, yeah, I just need guys that one touch take it to the house. <laughs> that would be great at Penn State. We don't, we don't have that. Uh, not right now, anyway. Dan, uh, I do want to shift to the new offensive coordinator, Andy Kotelnicki, coming to Penn State. He is getting acclimated. He's in the orientation process, I guess is what you could call it. We're really not going to know what we're getting until the fall of next year. I mean, hell, even mid-October is probably the time when we're really going to realize like what this offense is. Uh, in your opinion, what are some of the things of Andy Kotelnicki's offense that have been continuous in his multiple stops it goes from wisconsin whitewater to buffalo to kansas and now to penn state what are some of the similarities and what are the things that you think he's going to do differently from what penn state has done the last few years yeah i mean i think if you go back kind of historically at what andy's done what wisconsin whitewater the transition from division three to division one going to buffalo um, and then obviously what they've done at kansas is um, a very diverse run game, uh, very diverse, very physical run game. And, you know, it, it presented itself maybe a little bit differently at Buffalo than it did at Kansas. At Buffalo, they had, you know, a two-headed monster at running back. I think maybe the one kid led the nation and the Patterson kid led the nation in, in yardage or something. It was something like that. Um, a lot of wide zone, kind of outside zone stuff, but with a lot of variations and a lot of constraints built in. So, you know, as a play caller, you know, when you talk about um, your base offense, what you're doing is you're you're building out basically a an if then. So you have all these answers kind of built into the offense, but you you really want to get back to your base. And so at, at, at Buffalo, that was wide zone, outside zone. At Kansas, it's been a little bit different. Um, obviously, with the talent they had at the quarterback position between Jalen Daniels and Jason Bean, you had a little bit more QB run game, more gap schemes, more counter. Um you know, I think what Andy does as well as anyone in the country, honestly, is his use of formations, pre-snap motions, shifts, really forcing the defense to communicate a lot, but running a lot of base concepts. And so even though Kansas may present, you know, like they're doing all kinds of crazy stuff, they are running some trick plays, but they're really using a lot of window dressing to get to their base concepts. And that's what Andy's going to do. Um, and he's at the end of the day is all about fundamentals and technique. And, you know, he's going to make it look like one thing to the defense, but he's really trying to run the football and take shots off of play action. That's really at the end of the day, what his identity is going to be. To a degree, Justin, it sounds a little Kansas city chiefs leaning more towards the run than obviously the, the crazy talented passer, but who knows what they could do at Penn state. I think that's a very efficient way to, look at football. I mean, look at uh, the Shanahan's. That's essentially how they attack the offensive side of the football, where it's just in different multiple looks at the, at the run game, getting edges and different things of that nature. And we have two prolific, I mean, take me back, two good running backs, right? Like that can really carry the football. So in getting them in different positions, I think that dynamic run game, I mean, B. Marion has a similar type of offense with the go-go offense as well. And I like it. it. I mean, we can play with good tempo and different things of that nature. I think the question mark with our office moving forward is where did Drew Aller fit? Dan, what do you think about that? It's it's a departure from the Kansas version of what Andy did, but it's not dissimilar to what he had at, at Buffalo. 
Um, at Buffalo, their quarterback was not necessarily the option type. Um, again, wasn't a statue. Like he's always going to move the pocket, um, but it, more of a more of a passer. And uh, he had a lot of success with it. And I think it, you know, it goes to show you that great coaches craft their system to the players on the roster, not the other way around. Um, and so I think I, I you know, I, it's hard to say someone's a great coach, but having watched Andy's Andy Connelly's offenses the past, you know, five or six years, he he's really impressive to me. And and that's kind of what I do for a living is study offense. And so, you know, I think I think he does a really nice job of of finding the strengths of the guys on that roster and putting them in a position to be successful. For example, his offense with Jason Bean looked a little bit differently than it did with Jalen Daniels at Kansas. Um, and he was really able to put Bean in, in positions to be successful. And so I think there's probably going to be room for multiple quarterbacks to see the field at the same time. Even you saw that a lot at Kansas where they had two quarterbacks on the field at, at the same time. And that, I think that brings a lot of excitement to the fan base when you're seeing, you know, pit, you know, Drew is maybe pitching it to the the backup kid who's pretty talented and, and he's throwing a pass, you know, just stuff like that to keep things interesting, keep things exciting, keep everybody engaged instead of just trotting out, you know, the one quarterback that plays every down. No, to your point, uh, backup quarterback Bo Prabula, very mobile, drawn comparisons to a larger Trace McSorley and has lived up to that type of athlete in the limited opportunities he's got to get in there. And a lot of Penn State fans have been looking at the last two games of the season after Mike Yersich was fired following the Michigan loss. Okay, the Rutgers game felt a little clunky. You have two co-offensive coordinators, granted a very good Rutgers defense, ultimately, that made it tough for Penn State. But the offense just felt clunky, and then it just felt like an epiphany, Justin, against Michigan State, and that the offense, granted, it's Michigan State, that that team has struggled immensely and has had so many trials and tribulations over this past year. Still, the way the offense was executed and called to Dan's point, you saw multiple quarterbacks on the field several times, and it was like, okay, there's some elements here that this execution can work. And the thing for me that, you know, we talked about it, Justin, after the Michigan loss is that for me, initially as a fan, I was kind of like, man, after this loss, this, is pretty, this was pretty bad. It was a it was heartbreaking loss in a lot of ways and that I wouldn't have been shocked had Drew Auer and Nick Singleton jumped in the transfer portal. I think the way that things progressed the final two weeks of the season changed my opinion on that. I think you could see a change in the body language and the way the team was getting out there against Rutgers and then Michigan State. There was a sense of motivation and drive, and now you have this peach bowl opportunity against Ole Miss, and you've got a new offensive coordinator. It just feels like maybe these pieces are falling in place correctly. Do you feel that way? I mean, you hope so if you take any of the momentum from the last two games, right? And I think from Catron and – Nick's standpoint, their coach became the offensive coordinator. So there's a little bit of comfort that comes along with that when the guy that's your, your guy is drawing up the plays and making the calls. But um, shout out to Jay Walker. I mean, he's a great, great coach in his, in his own right with the new OC coming in. But with that being said, I like where it's going. I've been having a lot of conversations about more of Drew Aller and, and Bo Perbula. Like, how does it move forward and fitting in Andy's offense or just even just Penn State's um, success levels or what does it take to get into the playoffs, right? When we look at the playoffs now, we look at the quarterbacks, like the mobile quarterback, just looking at the profile of best practices to win in today's age of college football, what does it take? And do we have that answer, right? We were, we're saying we get a new offensive coordinator. We feel like we have a championship defense. And I think a lot of people, I mean, I don't know if it's the elephant in the room, but do we have the quarterback to go along with the new offensive coordinator and the receiver talent to put us over that hump to play in the 12 game playoff and make it to the championship next year. So I think that's the exciting thing moving forward. See what we do from the talent acquisition standpoint, transfer portal recruiting and how Andy comes in. Like my favorite thing is to use them. So I'm happy that Dan said his favorite trait is him being flexible to his, uh, to his actual personnel and being able to put them in spaces and positions to win because that's the mark of a good coach. Before we get to everything in 2024, we've got a, a little bowl game to figure out. On December 30th, the Peach Bowl in Atlanta, Penn State versus Ole Miss. Justin and I have been talking about this, is that these are two teams who 
live in a similar purgatory within their individual conferences and that Ole Miss is only two losses this year were to Alabama and Georgia. No shame in that. Same thing for Penn State, two losses to Ohio State and Michigan. Yeah, we as fans feel shame, but, you know, honestly, two of the best teams in the country. So you understand it. But still, this is a really interesting matchup. And I believe it was said by Gary Stoken, the CEO and president of the Peach Bowl, is that this is a battle of an explosive offense against a really good defense. Uh, Dan, when you think about this possible matchup between Ole Miss and Penn State, what are the X factors that jump out to you? Yeah, it's it's the line of scrimmage, ultimately. Um, you saw, particularly in that Georgia game, Lane's going to have some great stuff dialed up early, but if they're consistently struggling at the point of attack, that's when things start to slow down. You know, I think initially people think of Lane Kiffin's offenses as him slinging it around and, you know, it being obviously it's up tempo, but really he wants to run the football. You know, that's what people I think miss when they talk about Ole Miss often is it's not, it's not a Mickey mouse offense. They're running the football. Like they're running counter. The quarterback's running a lot. Like it's surprising how much Jackson dark carries the football almost to the point where you're like, are you sure you want to run him that much? Yeah. Um, they've got several good backs. Um, but the, the thing they do, I think that really creates problems for people is they're going to make you pay for any type of misalignment if you know they do a lot of formation into the boundary they throw the, these wheel routes and rpos and um, they do a lot of stuff that's going to stress you um, from the secondary perspective but the, the way to beat Ole Miss is you got to stop the run and then you got to pressure the quarterback and if you do that that's how you beat Ole Miss now Penn State's got a pretty good defensive line obviously missing Chop Robinson for that game is going to hurt him for sure but that's that's the formula for beating Ole Miss you got to stop the run and uh, not allow them to get that momentum because once they get the sticks rolling and once they're picking up first downs, that's when they tempo you and catch you with, you know, something wild that Lane has cooked up. Justin, to that point, Penn State has at times struggled with stopping the run this year. I mean, at times early in the season, I think they put that to bed and from the numbers, I think it was like a top five, top 10 rushing defense. So, I mean, I'm not too concerned about it, but you're talking about, you know, just a different dose, right? Coming from Ole Miss, the way they attack is a little different than some of the Big Ten teams. So it's going to be a great matchup. And like you said, with Chop being out, it's a great opportunity um, for DDS to deny Dennis Sutton to step in and make some plays. I mean, because it's still everyone's opportunity to show what's going on next year on the defensive side of the ball. If Manny cross our fingers if he leaves and a new defensive coordinator comes in they're going to watch that bowl game footage so everybody is still trying out for next year especially on the offense with a new offensive coordinator coming in because like he's going to watch this film to see what kind of weapons he actually has say hello to a stressless holiday season with the help of hello fresh skip the grocery store and save time with easy tasty recipes delivered right to your door justin here in Philadelphia, the lines were crazy in the lead up to Thanksgiving at the, at the grocery store. And I am very, very thankful to have this entire circumstance we do with HelloFresh. They've been great partners and to have healthy, inexpensive and awesome meals shipped right to my door. It takes all the hassle out of the holidays. The one thing I cannot stand is going to the grocery store or here in Pittsburgh, going to the strip district around Thanksgiving. You have to fight for turkeys. You have to fight for stuffing. You have to fight for all your food that you want to prepare. So having this partnership with HelloFresh and having your ingredients and food delivered to your doorstep in a holiday season gives you more time to, uh, gives you more time to cherish your moments with your family and enjoy the holiday weekend. There's no need to fight. There really is no need to fight. HelloFresh has over 45 recipes and more than 100 seasonal add-on items to choose from every week so it's easier than ever to find something everyone will enjoy. Go to HelloFresh.com slash LionFree and use code LionFree, that's L-I-O-N-F-R-E-E, -E, for free breakfast for life. One breakfast item per box while subscription is active. Again, that's free breakfast for life at HelloFresh.com slash LionFree with code LionFree, that's L-I-O-N-F-R-E-E. -E. HelloFresh, America's number one meal kit. There's a lot of stuff right now for Penn State. It feels like a bit of a holding pattern in that it's like, all right, let's see what happens in the portal, what kind of uh, news, if anything happens with Manny Diaz, the way Justin was just touching on it, the, the lead up to the bowl game. But 
there's so much happening in the grander scheme of college football right now that I really want to dive into with you guys because it's just it's fascinating, it's exciting, it's concerning all at the same time. Dan, I want to start with you because we we hit on the transfer portal a little bit earlier on. And Justin has really well articulated this in the past on this show is that what players can you really go into the portal and get that are going to affect your win share probability? I hope I'm phrasing that correctly, Justin, is that it's pretty much quarterbacks, defensive ends, pass rushers more specifically, and offensive tackles who are going to prevent the pass rushers from getting to the quarterbacks. Uh, would you agree with that, that those are pretty much the three positions that if you're going to go into the portal, those are the ones that are going to make a difference? Yeah, I mean, those are probably from top to bottom in the world of football, kind of the most valuable positions. But I think, you know, for a, a program like Penn State, again, you might you may not want to hear this, but you might need to moneyball it a little bit because there's so much competition for those players that how can you go out and get the best interior offensive lineman? How can you go out and get, um, you know, a, a tight end so you can play multiple tight end sets and, and bully people a little bit? You saw Michigan do that, right? Like Michigan picked up um, the center from, was it Stanford? Or they picked up an off- an interior offensive lineman and a tight end from, shoot, I'm, I'm blanking on these, the Barner kid from maybe Maryland. Indiana. Indiana, there you go. And, and so, again, they're not like program changing players, but they add depth and physicality and experience to um, kind of a well-oiled machine. And I think the teams that are going out there and looking for magic in a bottle um, are the ones that leave the portal season pretty disappointed um, because I just don't think that exists a ton. You're going to see a couple like you're going to see the high end quarterbacks change, change rosters um, completely kind of flip rosters. But um, even the, the schools that have gone and gotten some big offensive linemen, I'm thinking, you know, for example, Florida, it took a really long time for those guys to gel, even though they got some pretty good portal additions. So, you know, I think I think if you're relying on the portal, unless you're in a, like a first year coach trying to do a roster flip, if you're relying too much on the portal, uh, you got some problems. You hit on quarterbacks and the portal because this year it's similarly bizarre as it was last year. Like there were some names that went into the portal last season. This year, as of, again, as of the time we're recording this, Washington State's Cam Ward, Oklahoma's Dylan Gabriel, more on that, Will Howard from Kansas State, Dante Moore from UCLA, who apparently Michigan is eyeing, Riley Leonard from Duke, who at one point was a Heisman hopeful and apparently has been targeted by Notre Dame. Kyle McCord from Ohio State. We're definitely going to talk about that a little bit more. DJ Uyagalale from uh, Oregon State. Uh, I think Florida State has become an early front runner for him. Tyler Van Dyke from Miami. Will Rogers from Mississippi State. And Grayson McCall from Coastal Carolina. Go Clears. So it's like, Justin, like I, I, I want to touch on the McCord thing, first of all, since we are within the Big Ten. What? It's interesting to me to see the starting quarterback at a blue blood like Ohio State and the same thing for Dylan Gabriel at Oklahoma give up that job. Do you read into that or did you kind of see like, hey, this season wasn't great for him. He needs to go someplace different or even smaller. I mean, there's always com- communication between the coaches and the quarterback, right? And I know the rumblings out of Ohio State was not exactly happy. And as a quarterback, you know that that's what you're going to be up against next year and you're going to always bring in top top tier talent. And I think the one thing that this just new age of college football, we think about these movement or these talent acquisition mechanisms, like the transfer portal, NIL money moving around is like, you're going to see coaches and inefficient operations get exposed much faster because like Dan said, now we're going to be looking at this model, like free agency in the NFL. I mean, you can have someone like a Dan Snyder, the old commanders when they go out in the free agency and buy everybody and completely stink. Or you have some organizations like the Ravens or the Steelers or the Packers that build through the draft and they understand the talent acquisition and who they're trying to get. Never overpay for this position. We're only going to get these guys. So even when we think about Michigan and how they acquire talent, they never dropped a big bag. They kind of showed the blueprint of like having your uh, your formation from a culture all the way down from the head coach and executing it from like a three, four year standpoint. They were just getting offensive and defensive linemen in the portal, older guys and just building it out that way to the point where I'm looking at, like, I played against the 49ers when Jim Harbaugh was the 49ers coach. And I'm like, this is looking like the old 49ers, how he was building his, how he was building his whole roster. So he showed that he has understanding of, 
the talent acquisition process, moving different pieces from the NFL model. And we see that thing change a little bit different places where Dion had a nice splash at the beginning, but it wasn't sustainable. And I think teams want to have to be completely honest about what positions and how they want to build their organization, because I don't think it's going to be a uh, monkey see monkey do type of situation. You have to be authentically curated to your program because that's the only way that it's going to operate. You can be successful at Texas a but you might not be successful at Penn, at Penn State, as we've seen different guys that hit the transfer portal and have success other places. So it's going to be up to the teams bringing in the right talent that they can actually reach their potential where they're at. So that's going to be that's the most exciting thing to me about this whole time, because you're right. Penn State has to be clear about what exactly we need to accomplish so we go in there and get the right players to do it, not just necessarily the best D lineman or the best this like. Chop came from Maryland. Whoever that was at the time didn't view him as what it was, but it was like a trait-based thing that Dan said earlier, a tall, explosive defensive end that's coming from this. We understand who he is coming out of high school. Let's bring him in. And he develops under the Penn State umbrella. Now he's going to probably go first round. So trying to put all those in a vacuum and make those decisions as best as possible is going to be the new age of college football, man. Billion dollars on the line. Playoffs. It's exciting times. The money on the line, I think, is the interesting thing. And I want to get to that more in a minute because there are so many things that came out this week, especially from uh, uh, the NCAA commissioner. But we'll get to that in a second. Uh, Dan, uh, for quarterbacks specifically, you know, I look at I think Dylan Gabriel is this fascinating case study is that, you know, it's like, again, like I was just saying, you're the starting quarterback for the University of Oklahoma. You, you beat Texas this year in the Red River rivalry. Like he had everything going for him. Now, it also seemed like Oklahoma had a, as an heir apparent that they were maybe leaning towards so he can understand he's working his way out. But also you're like, does Dylan Gabriel translate to the National Football League? So it, it does make you think a couple of things. I believe Oregon is interested in him and you could see him fitting within that offense in the same way that Bo Nix did. But it's like you look at these quarterbacks, it's like, all right, you're hanging around now for like your six, some guys like more than that, years at the college level. Are you just going to the highest bidder at this point? And it's like, is that what it's come to? Yeah, I think this is a really interesting conversation um, with the amount of movement from the quarterback position. I think it's pretty I think it's actually a little bit more basic maybe than we're making it out to be his coordinator left. Right. Jeff Levy left. He's not going to hang around and take a chance. Uh, playing outside of a system that fits his skill set. It doesn't make any sense for him to be taking snaps under center from the next OC if he's always played in that Bryles style offense. Mm -hmm. And so he was in it at UCF with Heupel. He's in the same exact system with Levy. He knows that system like the back of his hand and he's good at it. And so, you know, he's going to end up with someone off the Bryles tree. I don't know where he lands, but it's going to be someone who's committed to playing that style of football. And, you know, I think the thought of like going to the highest bidder, it, it's very short sighted to go to the highest bidder, because at the end of the day, you want to accentuate your skill set for ultimately the next level. And Dylan Gabriel, you know, he, he might not look like a pro quarterback right now. But the game of football in the professional level is shifting to the point where you're going to see more college style offenses show up in the NFL, because look how bad the second tier quarterbacks, second tier quarterbacks have been in the NFL this year. It's been brutal. So they have to kind of get away from that pro style, complex, multiple checks of the line of scrimmage and allow some guys to play a little bit more college style. And, you know, I think some of the teams that have done that, like the Indianapolis Colts with Shane Steichen, He's gotten production out of quarterbacks that you wouldn't deem ready necessarily, like, a you know, Anthony Richardson, super talented, pretty raw. And then what he's getting out of, you know, the backup quarterbacks as well is pretty impressive. And so I think you're you're seeing like a guy like Steichen use a lot more college style offensive uh, concepts, similar with the Philadelphia Eagles, a lot of college style concepts. And so, again, that's a long winded way of saying a guy like Dylan Gabriel, he's going to go play in the system he knows. Um, and it would be a really bad bet for him to go play in any other system at this point in his career. And I think, you know, the one interesting one for me is DJU because he mm. went from Clemson to a pro style system in Oregon State and did really well. And I think helped his stock tremendously. And I think what kind of sets DJ apart is he's really uh, he's a really smart football player. Um, I don't think he ever got the credit at Clemson that he deserved. Um, I think things were trending and it wasn't his fault, but he kind of got pinned with it. And I think that happens with a lot of, 
quarterbacks at the college level that they kind of become the whipping boy if things aren't going well. And again, I'm not a Penn Stater, so I'm going to say it like I think to an extent, Drew Aller has kind of become an easy punching bag um, for some of the struggles on offense. And I, I don't think it's time to, to throw out the baby with the bathwater just yet. I completely agree with you. I, that's why we like to have the outsider's perspective to bring people back down to earth. Uh, Justin, what was the thing that I messaged you about? Uh, this just came out within a handful of hours of us recording this podcast. Oh, that's right. Uh, I mentioned it before. NCAA president, not commissioner, NCAA president, Charlie Baker, uh, apparently this week is proposing the creation of an FBS subdivision that permits schools to directly compensate athletes through a trust fund and NIL benefits, it is perhaps the most revolutionary concept introduced in NCAA history. Uh, getting to dive into this a little bit, is there anything else that you can explain about this? And, and what did, what was your reaction to this? I mean, besides it's about time, or like we went through all this for the past three years with uh, NIL just to get to this great idea that, I mean, some aunts that don't even watch football probably present it on Twitter like a couple times. So it's just, it blows your mind when it happens. And it's like, hey, we got this great idea. Let's pay the players. But it's going to be an arms race, right? It already <laughs> is an arms race. Yeah. It's an arms race, but they're at least putting in, like taking the rose-colored glasses off of it where yeah. they're saying, hey, there's no cap. You can take care of these. But because a lot of these rules are under, I mean, under – under guidance right now. But like I said earlier, I mean, on the final take here in Pittsburgh on the television, my final word was welcome to the new age of college football. The committee, what they did with the Florida state bit was telling us what they valued in the next two power conferences, regardless of them going undefeated. Like, no, we value an Alabama situation over where that's going. And the sec and big 10 with the conference realignments, how the United States football scene is set up. It's like, this is where we're investing. This is where they invest. And so this is the route we're going. And I think now that it's only right for the NCAA to catch up and be like, okay, let's have some little bit of reins over the situation and have this subdivision that's going to be the college football playoffs. Because it's like it's going to be 12 to 16 teams that kind of fall underneath that. And it's going to be the teams from the SEC and the Big Ten. Most likely that can hit those minimum requirements when it comes down to like a salary cap and money and assessing value of the actual players. So, I mean, so one one point I'm like excited and it's like, it's about time. I've been writing about it for like two to three years. Now, so. <laughs> Check out Justin on Substack. He's got some good information on this. Uh, every once in a while. Dan, uh, I was listening to the Cover 3 podcast, and they were talking about how uh, Matt Rule from Nebraska had recently said a good quarterback in the portal costs anywhere from $1 to $2 million. That's a Those price points I find fascinating because kind of like NFL contracts, I'm like, I kind of want to know not what every last guy is making, but you kind of want to know. It's like, what's our budget? What's this guy worth? What is this other team willing to offer? Do you think that sort of transparency is coming soon? We need it. We need it as soon as possible. Um, I think Justin hit the nail on the head. Um, with this kind of power two coming together, it's just it's pro football now, which is fine. It's just pro football. And if there's if it's pro football, we need to have some sort of collective bargaining agreement. We need to have a commissioner. We need to have clarity, transparency. We need a salary cap. We need everything the NFL has already sorted out um, and maybe just copy and paste that model because it seems to be working pretty well. And guess what? Everybody's making money. So, you know, I think just making it clear and, and you know, making sure everybody's kind of on the same playing field is is best for the teams and the programs. And it's also best for the players. And it was interesting. A couple of years ago, I, I traveled over to uh, actually to South Africa and my brother was involved in the rugby scene in South Africa. And so um, the rugby teams that are connected with universities in South Africa are technically club teams. So they're they're associated with the university without actually being kind of like they don't understand the idea of like the NCAA like that made no sense to them. Sure. And so what, what they would do is, hey, if you want to be a student at the school and walk onto the rugby team, go ahead. But the best players are paid as employees of the school to play rugby because it's a huge benefit to the university to have a good rugby team in South Africa. And so why can't we just disassociate from the university? So you're not worried about some of the title nine stuff that may come up with football because of the revenue generated and just make it a club team, 
have the university pay them as employees because that's what they are. They're employees of the school. And if you want to walk on, be my guest, buddy. Come on down, put on a practice uniform. We can still field 120 guys, but not everybody's getting paid because not everybody brings value to the university. And that's just the way it is. Yeah. Like the soccer, I mean, I love it. Like the soccer academies in Europe, right? Where they start getting like get guys at nine, 10 years old. Like the talent acquisition process across the world is so much more involved than it here, here in the United States. Like NIL is a made up construct that already exists. Like they've been paying player 14 year olds. Like I trained with Manchester United junior team when I was in the NFL. And I'm like training with 14 year olds that are getting paid. And I'm like, oh, wait, why can't we do this? <laughs> and so like everything is already out there and even like Nebraska, like I've got to get up in that role a little bit. Like that's a prime example. Like he's saying like the quarterback in the portal is 1.5 million. Like, why do you need a, a $1.5 million quarterback? Like you're going to win nine games, probably max, like not nothing against him, but like, that's a great season. So like, why are you spending all that money mm -hmm. on that position? Cause you, like Dan said, it's going to be an arms race amongst the top guys. So mm -hmm. that split off or that drop off or diminished value from how much you're paying from like the product that you're going to get from the quarterback is going to start showing up when everyone's chasing these dollars and dollars. If you don't have that profile of what player I'm willing to spend or what I need to do to get my money. Cause I mean, I've said it a million times. We, all the players that we paid in the XFL, almost 800 guys outside of quarterbacks for offensive tackles, but no one else is much valuable to the product on the field. And, so just taking care of those uh, moving forward, but yeah, that 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 one point five million dollars. All these coaches are trying to build in some a little bit of excuses and getting uh, donors riled up. <laughs> that and you know how much is that? Oh, this is the amount I would have to convince somebody to come to my school as opposed to Nick Saban could you know just be like take it or leave it, buddy, and be like, I'll play for Nick Saban. I'll play in Alabama. <laughs> but that's that's a part of the job, right? Like, that's why I think it's kind of funny that they're like, hey, it's cost this much. Or like, like you know, Ryan Day say, like, it's $13 million. Like, like I said, did they get the $13 million? You're just putting it out there so everyone, else can go, so everyone else can go scramble. Nick Saban can go down his people like, hey, give us the money, give us the money. And it's just like, all right. Like, what, what, what players are worth this? Like, when you're talking about actually winning. Because like I think I would like to look at the NIL money of the top four teams in the playoffs going for the championship and how they did their talent acquisition. I know, I mean, Georgia, they're a big money spending and tight squad. They're not in it. Alabama, he's been vocal about being minimal in the NIL's process unless you earn it. Uh, you hear with Jim Harbaugh how he feels about it. You dub, I don't know exactly they got going out there. I mean, Texas is Texas, but you know, that's one out of one out of four that is really leaning in and really just straight I mean, up Texas, pay for Texas, play. Texas said no, we know that big money though, they get all the guys fired. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like just because the money's there doesn't mean that there's going to be success. So better get some good operators in college football. So yeah. I, I want to wrap up on this point, Justin, in that where's Penn State in this arms race? Your honest opinion. In my honest opinion, if they're fitting in the, into the profile of knowing what they want to execute, it's, it's you don't you you take yourself out of the arms race. Like you create your own race and you build out your program the way that you need to build it and double down on that. I think right now we see some holes or which are lacking, but I mean, I think they're in a good space. Just a couple movements from a playmaker standpoint that they need to take in from a talent acquisition standpoint, but they are primed for this new age of college football it also has something to offer outside of money that they can sell so that's another thing when you're talking about the school like every player isn't cut the same like every player can't play alabama can't survive at alabama every player can't survive at penn state and so forth and so on so it's like finding those right fits to where you can have you know expected results no i mean i think you hit the nail on the head again justin that's you have to play your own game to an extent and uh you know i think Nick Saban hiring Tommy Reese as his offensive coordinator was him kind of signaling that he's getting out of some of that arms race. Um, he even mentioned it on one in one of his interviews that at, for as good as Bryce Young was at Alabama, they got a little too wrapped up in and Bryce centric with the offense and kind of just lost maybe a little bit of that Bama identity of being able to be physical and grind games out and really kind of put the chokehold on people. And with the hiring of Tommy Reese from Notre Dame, you know, everybody kind of scratched their head at first. But if you look at it, it really fits with who Nick Saban wants to be with 
running the football, controlling the clock. And it looked ugly early, but they've gotten it figured out. And he is still a defensive mastermind. And so I think for Penn State, it's like if they can handle the defensive side of the football and develop an identity offensively, bringing in a bunch of tight ends, they have a strong running game and find some explosive playmakers on the outside, you know, they, they could be in the conversation. And I think the 12 team playoff prevents a little bit of the panic that you see from losing two games, right? Like you lose a game or two here and there, and you're still in the playoff and have a chance to make a run. Whereas you lose a game or two. Now you're done. Your season's over and it's a failure. And so I think, you know, again, it's becoming professional football slowly, but surely. And in the NFL, you win some, you lose some. Kyle Shanahan loses some games and he's as good as it gets, right? You're going to, it's just going to happen, right? Um, you know, if, if they have a tough game, of course, you have some NFL fans calling for people's head. I mean, people were calling for Michael Floor's head and now, or uh, Matt LaFleur's head, and now he's looking pretty good with the, the Packers, right? You figure things out. And so I think, um, you know, again, I'm a Penn State outsider. So I also don't think that Mike Yurcich was just this total bum. I think he's a really good offensive mind. I know Mike, he's smart. He knows football really well. And sometimes when things don't go well, you're, you're the head that rolls and that's just the way it is. And again, coaches know that, right? Like we, we get in this profession, we understand what's happening that happens at the high school level here in Texas. You know, when we're playing well, I look like a genius when we're playing poorly, I look like an idiot. And that's just, that's football. Right. And you just have to accept it. And so Anyway, that's kind of a long-winded way of me saying that um, we're heading quickly toward professional football, and you have to decide how you want to build your organization. It's not your program anymore; it's your organization. Um, it's the you know the the idea of history winning for you. History doesn't win for you anymore. It's how you operate in the day to day. You have to turn into an NFL franchise, and I think if anyone organizationally is capable of that, I really do think James Franklin is. It's about getting the right people on the bus and and empowering his his play callers on both sides of the ball to do their job and not meddle. Once a head coach of the offense, a head coach of the defense, and he is the CEO of Penn State football. There you have it. Uh, Dan, thank you so much for joining us again. You can check him out on social media at Coach Dan Casey. Once again, the Play Callers Club podcast is spectacular. His content on social media is phenomenal. You want to check it out if you want to learn something every single day about college football. So, Dan, thank you again for joining us. We're going to continue to keep an eye on all the stuff that's happening with the transfer portal, the lead up to the Peach Bowl, and any other craziness that might just happen. Thank you all so much for joining us. This episode and our entire library of shows is available now on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, TuneIn, and wherever else you get your podcasts. And of course, let us know what you think of the show on Twitter, at TheKing1 and at Tom Hannafin. State of State is presented by Bet Online. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.